All right. So I don't have any pictures like Dennis has. I know. I know you'd be disappointed letting him down. But I did come across a few tweets this week. Do you guys know what tweets are? Raise your hand if you know what a tweet is. Oh, we've got some in here that may be lost. But we'll tweet, it has to be really short. I think it's like 120 characters or something, and you just send out a blast of really bad information for people. So I came across this week that really made me laugh. So I said, okay, i got to share these with you guys. Now, these are from Christian comedians. I did not come up with this stuff, okay? So get that out of the way. One tweet said, I started a kid's workout this week, and I'm really feeling it in my head and shoulders, knees and toes. <laughs> knees and toes, right? Another one said, this guy said, I'm thinking about starting a Christian band for losing weight. And we're going to call ourselves Casting Pounds. Okay. Their first hit single is going to be called Cake, I Can Only Imagine. Right? <laughs> and this last one. My favorite. I played a little frisbee golf this week. Maybe it's golf frisbee. It's whatever you call throwing a nine iron into the woods. <laughs> so those are my tweets I came across this week. So I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, obviously, Dennis is in Alaska, so be praying for Dennis uh, and the crew that's up there. Last thing I saw, they were mowing roofs. Have no idea. How that, what that's like to mow your roof, but they do that in Alaska. So uh, be praying for them this week, and um, let's pray as we start this morning. God, we just come before you today looking for what you have for us in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us from your word, that you would help us to see what you have in store for us, what you have planned for us, the changes you intend to make in us as we follow you. We just pray that you would just reveal yourself this morning, and we give this to you, and we pray it in your name. Amen. So in today's world, you know, it really seems like there's a lot of stuff to be afraid of. Now, is anybody in here afraid of something? Have you ever been afraid of something? Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand, next week we'll be talking about lying, okay? Everybody experiences some amount of fear in something at some point. You know, and with the turmoil that is really going on in the world, in the days you can tell they're just getting more evil, Right? They're just getting worse and worse. It's no wonder to me that people live in a lot of fear, a lot of worry. You know, there's a lot of anxiety that we deal with much of the time. And you know, it's interesting because Satan actually uses fear to try and limit what we do. You know, he wants to keep our minds tied up. He wants to take us out of commission. He wants to separate us from God and each other. And it's happening more and more all the time. You know, and honestly, it's happening a lot to those who claim to follow Christ. Interestingly, fear, you know, I have to get the definitions out, you know, find out what this really means. And fear, by definition, is an unpleasant emotion. And here's the key. Caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. If you think about it, when people worry about things or they fear things, they typically have the worst in mind. Maybe you're one of those people. That's probably how I am, right? We just jump right to the worst. And despite what anyone says, fear is going to come. It's going to happen. And it's also going to come even to the person who claims to follow Christ. It's expected. It's a normal experience. But it can quickly turn into something abnormal. 
It can limit our abilities. It can start to shut down our lives if we don't properly address it. You know, one of the apostles has given us some great tips. I've come across some of these, and I hope that you'll commit them to your mind and your heart today as we look at them. So that when fear strikes you, you can be ready, and then you can strike back. So there's a familiar story in Scripture. It seems to highlight some things regarding fear that we need to take note of. Information, I would say, is critical to recognizing and guarding against fear, but also to overcoming it. Now, I want you to keep in mind a verse. It's in 1 John. I'm going to try this clicker out today and see if it works. All right. It's in 1 John 4. Now, I came across this verse some time ago, and it just kind of stuck. So I have to say, this is the verse that really sparked this whole investigation, I guess you could call it, into the fear topic. And here it is, 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This kind of stuck when I read this. So let me be clear first. Some people think that when a person has faith in Christ, they no longer experience fear. That is just not true. The unknown is always going to give us humans a bit of hesitation and wonder, unsurety, and sometimes we even expect the worst and fear does set in. In fact, Jesus himself exhibited this during his earthly ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you recall, the night before his crucifixion, he was distressed. And many would attribute that to being afraid. It wasn't the fear of this eternal judgment, or even the fear of men, or the fear of losing something, but rather the fear associated with the process of being crucified, the torture, the feeling. Now, you may have never thought about this, but do you realize that Jesus, although being God himself, had never experienced death? He'd never experienced torture and pain of this degree? And the humanity of Jesus, I believe, is on full display in the garden. Because although being the God of the universe in human flesh, with all wisdom and all knowledge, he still sweats blood. He's anxious. He's fearful of what is about to happen to him. So anyone who says Christians shouldn't and can't be afraid are just wrong. But I want to go back. The night that Jesus was arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin, being questioned before his crucifixion, he had a tag-along. You probably remember. There at a distance was maybe the most well-known of the disciples, Peter, right? Having just had a heart-to-heart with Jesus and being informed that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And we actually find the record here in Luke 22, beginning in verse 54. It says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, everyone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, 
Certainly this is the man also who was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Probably familiar with the story. But you notice three times Peter states he doesn't know Jesus. And the big question is, of course, this. Why did he do that? I would suggest to you this morning, it was because of one thing. Fear. Peter was afraid that if he said he did know Jesus, he was going to be arrested, potentially beaten, maybe even killed. Peter was afraid of what would happen to him. Fear. So Peter does what fear typically invites, right? Self-preservation. Whatever it takes to survive. Now this is important to take note of. Because fear doesn't exist unless the threat of loss exists. Do you realize that? Loss of something valuable specifically. In Peter's case, it was his life. You see, if the threat of loss is gone, no fear remains. And we don't like the idea of losing that which we hold valuable. At this time, in Peter's world, the most important thing was clearly his life. Peter was in those moments ruled by fear. The idea of him losing his life was too much to face. But there's something else here that fear led to you need to take notice of. Do you realize that fear caused Peter to lie? He did know Jesus, but if it meant him living a little lie, would be justified in his mind. So we have something here we need to take note of. You know, fear is a very powerful thing because it essentially takes hostage that which we hold most important. The things we've placed value on, we find ourselves being afraid we'll lose. If we believe that something of value to us can, in fact, be lost, we'll struggle with the fear of losing it. And when faced with the loss of valuable things, some people will do whatever is necessary to keep it, even if it means lie. It could mean cheat. It could mean steal. It could mean kill, manipulate. See, to them, the ends justify the means. Now, Peter may have actually shared a similar view when he denied Jesus. But do you see what fear did here? It actually took Peter out of the situation. Because he was so concerned about himself, he denies Jesus. And you know, Peter actually had a bit of foreknowledge on this matter. Jesus had told him this was going to happen. You think Peter would have been on guard, and maybe he was. But what escaped Peter was the issue Jesus intended, I believe, to highlight right here. It's the real issue dealing with Peter and every Christian faces in the light of coming to Christ. Fear was the real problem in Peter's heart. 
And that fear had to be dealt with before he would be the effective disciple that Jesus had in mind. Now I would submit to you this morning that Peter could still have believed that Jesus is Lord, but to be effective in ministry for Jesus, the fear had to go. Now remember what I said earlier, fear and love cannot coexist. When we hold on to fear, we neglect the love of Christ. Remember 1 John 4.17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. It's kind of an important thing what this is saying. If you want to fight back against fear, you actually need love. And that can only be grown and experienced by doing what Jesus did, what he does. Going out, putting others ahead of yourself, denying yourself as the most important, reaching on to others first. And it's interesting because it says, how is love, which counters fear, made perfect in us? It's a good question. By being like Jesus. By acting like Jesus. By going to others as Jesus did. You know, one Bible commentary I read this week notes that fear and love are opposite because one runs away while the other runs towards. And just like we see in the laws of physics and logic, a person cannot run toward and away at the same time. 1 John 4.18 seems to make one thing very clear, that love and fear don't go together. Do you remember what it says in 1 John 4.18? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. True love is the one thing fear can't handle. Yet the opposite is also true. When a person is wrapped in fear, love seems to be a struggle. Now, shortly before Jesus was arrested and predicted this denial of Peter, Jesus actually said something else to Peter, and we're going to look at it in Luke chapter 22. He said this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, did you catch the last part of that statement by Jesus, the last thing he says? And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now I'm reading this going, what in the world does that mean? I would suggest that Jesus knew that Peter was going to act in fear. He was going to deny him. He was going to slink away in defeat. However, Jesus was not going to leave him there. Peter would overcome this fear and it would be imperative that he use this experience to strengthen other believers. Jesus also said this in the days before Peter's denial in Matthew 10. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now it makes sense to me why Peter went out and wept bitterly. If you think about it, he thought he was through. The fear of losing his life was now turned to the belief that he'd lost eternity. That would lead to hopelessness and despair. That may even send a person who had been changed back to where they came from in their old life, thinking they were done. 
In fact, after denying Jesus, if you read the story all the way through crucifixion, Peter exits until after the resurrection takes place. He never shows up again. There's no record in the Gospels of Peter being present at the crucifixion of Christ. And I think that's because he couldn't bear seeing Jesus die after what he just did. The fear of losing one's life is a powerful thing. But in Jesus' mind, it's not the most powerful thing. Fear can be overcome. So we've kind of picked through 1 John 4 a little bit. I've already shared with you a couple of the verses. I want us to look at one more. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 16, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who is not made perfect, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, and in his discussion of fear, John makes it a point to highlight one other word, love. He attributes being a person of love as being like him, being like Jesus. That even says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. But love is somewhat incomplete at the onset and therefore has to be perfected. The Greek word used for perfected here suggests the state of being just right. It's a process of love being perfected in us. God's love is perfect. Ours is not. It has to be perfected. One thing we can be sure of is that Jesus did not hold on to this earthly life any more than he had to. He had come with great love to do the job of redemption for us, but having tasted heaven, he knew that was better. Jesus didn't want to have to experience the suffering that would come with the cross, but he knew what was on the other side of it. Peter had heard this, but he actually hadn't experienced it yet. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was not driven by fear. He was driven by love and the anticipation of going home to heaven. Now, although he had experienced fear, he was not going to let that stop him. And Peter had to learn that fear was holding him back from the real focus, which was love and eternity. Now, being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did and think about what Jesus thought about was the only way to drive out fear in his life. So here are a few things I found in Peter's story that I really believe will guide us in our Christian walk when it comes to facing fear, dealing with fear, maybe worry. I'm calling these the tips from Peter. You know, if we have any tips we could get from his denial, these are them, right? Here's tip number one. Take confidence in the truth. When we know the truth of God, you can rest in it. As followers of Jesus, we're going to come to points where our commitment to Jesus will be tested. And typically those tests will involve fear, 
and the potential of loss. Maybe even the loss of one's very life. Sin's corruption of this world leads to something not originally part of the plan. Death. And death instills fear much of the time. However, we can believe in Jesus, put our confidence in what He has done for us and what He has said to us. Because confidence is an important counter to fear. Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And there's also a verse in Ephesians 3.12, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and what? Confidence. And from our verse today in 1 John, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have what? Confidence on the day of judgment. And then again, in this world, we are like Jesus. Be confident in what God has not only said, but what He has proven by His actions. Remember, is He alive? He is. Second tip. Loosen our grip on life here on earth. A few verses before, actually a couple chapters before the verses we've looked at today in 1 John chapter 2, says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. A couple things to note. Key information. Notice again the usage of love. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Notice how John says the things of the world will pass away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. Now it's interesting because there's a connection again with living a life of devotion to God through love and removing the risk of actual loss. That's where fear comes from. Remember, fear is from the concern for loss of that which is valuable. So here's the question. What if Jesus has everything secure? What if there really is no loss at all? What happens to fear when there's no loss? It disappears. There is officially nothing to fear. You know, this world is about fear because it's temporary with everything in it. But those things that are not temporary and are eternal, that should be what we love and where our hearts and minds are. Okay? Now, I've got a verse. We've been trying to teach you to this. And he actually is pretty good at it. He has it memorized. You know, I had to go to him this week and say, hey, what's the verse that says, you know, and he knows it. So I had to put it in here today. Uh-oh, Andrew, help. There we go. Okay. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We could probably all practice that a little bit more. I know myself for sure. My question is, do you really believe this this morning? that Jesus has a secure place in eternity prepared for you? That it's secure? Now, how firmly do you believe that? 
Would you bet your life on it? Remember, Peter was initially this boisterous disciple that when the pressure was on, fear got the best of him and he bailed out. But something happened to Peter that changed him. Same thing that happens to us. He encountered the resurrected Jesus. You know, Peter was back in the fishing boat in the days following his denial and Christ's crucifixion. You can bet he was discouraged by his denial and failure. He simply went back to a comfortable place in his life, what he knew, the fishing boat. But then on the shore, he sees Jesus and he's alive. He rushes overboard into the water to get to him. And they sit down to talk. Now this is extremely important. And this is the third thing I also want to leave with you today. The third tip. God intends on perfecting His love in you. We see this exchange with Peter and Jesus after the crucifixion here in John 21. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Just like Peter's threefold denial, three times Jesus asks Peter the significant question, do you love me? Now it's important to note the first two times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, he uses a specific Greek word. Now when you and I use the word love, it's one word, love. You can love your mom, you can love your dad, you can love your wife, you can love your neighbor, right? Greek, it's not so. There's actually four words in the Greek that mean love. But in this particular instance, he asked Peter if he loves him using the Greek word agape. You've probably heard that before. It means unconditional love. But Peter actually responds with a different word. He uses the word phileo. It literally means brotherly love or friendship love. They did that two times. But the third time Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, Jesus himself uses the word phileo as well. Now what does all that mean? Well, I would suggest to you that Peter's love had some growing to do. Jesus originally asked him if it was unconditional, to which Peter now, having been on this side of the denial, recognized it was not. It had to be perfected. He responded to Jesus as, you're a friend, a teacher, but there are some conditions. Jesus wanted no conditions and makes it clear that love would be perfected in Peter so that fear would be driven away. He accepted Peter's phileo love at this moment because that's what Peter had. But Peter's love for Christ would be perfected as he followed him. Now, after they get done with this conversation on the bank of the sea, this is what Jesus says. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You know, Peter would die years later as a martyr for the gospel of Christ. He would not deny what he had seen and heard in the resurrected Jesus and during Jesus' earthly ministry. He had seen the resurrected Christ. All that was important was secure now in his hands. He could confidently let go by trusting Jesus with the future. His love came to the fullness and was perfected, I would suggest, as he walked in Christ's shoes to bring the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles and was on full display as he stretched out his hands to be crucified at his execution. I don't believe that Peter's fear immediately left him that day on the bank of the sea, but you can be sure Peter was aware of his need for change, for confidence, and a deeper love. And over the course of walking with Christ, one pursuing step at a time, he was transformed. And truth be told, you and I are really no different. If you're dealing with fear, I want to ask you, are you walking with Christ every day? Are you making it a point to serve as He served? Are you acting in love first and foremost? When it comes to fear, we do have a roadmap for overcoming. We must be confident in the truth given to us through the resurrection of Christ. You realize He is alive. And that means death. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing comparative to what Christ holds in heaven. Nothing. We must let go of these temporary things and focus our hearts and minds onto the eternal ones. And we must serve as Jesus served. Allowing God to, through that process, perfect love within us, which simultaneously drives away fear. So some things to think about this week as you go. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we just again are thankful that you've given us a roadmap to dealing with these things, knowing it's a process, but knowing, Lord, that we can't overcome. By the work that you've done on the cross, your resurrection secures eternity for us, and we can have confidence in that. Our sins are wiped away so we can confidently come before you and pray and talk to you about anything, including what we're dealing with. We thank you for that, for knocking those walls down that we can have the confidence to come before you in Christ. And so, Lord, we just pray as we deal with different fears and the anxiousness of life and the worries that come before us, that you would help us to remember these important pieces, that you have eternity secure, and we should put our confidence in you. And so we thank you for our time that we could spend this morning in your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.